foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is the Move Your DNA podcast, a show where movement science meets your everyday life. I'm Katie Bowman, biomechanist, author, and school nerd. All bodies are welcome here. Let's get moving. Hey, podcast listeners. A summertime for many is the easiest time of year to fit in more movement. The summer schedule can be less hectic. The weather is better. Others are more available for community gatherings. But as we turn toward fall... Movement starts to drop off as the weather turns. Wind and rain can mean stiff shoes and jackets, like literally making moving your body parts harder to do. Those friends who didn't hesitate to meet you at the pool or river for a swim now want to hunker down inside and stay cozy. And then there's all of those going back to school. So the learning container, this is the environment in which many kids and young adults spend a large portion of their literally formative years is often the opposite of summertime movement. The educational environment definitely affects kids' movement, which is what we're talking about today. From back-to-school shoes that ensure kids are recess-ready, to backpacks and alignment, desks and sitting, and how to get more movement before and after school. This episode is a collection of questions and answers, some pulled from the podcast Vault. I did a show on back-to-school biomechanics years ago, so fans of my old co-host Danny will be happy to hear her again. And there are new questions and answers, too. So get out your pencils and trapper keepers, my friends. You're going to want to take some notes. Let's start with footwear. August is the time of year many will head out to buy back-to-school shoes, whether they're minimal or not. So let's talk about shoe shopping, specifically footwear fit 
and how to save a little money by not getting winter shoes too soon. This weekend, you wrote a blog post. I noticed that I wish was not just in your blog, but I wish it was in every publication that a parent could read across the nation because it was about choosing shoes. That's tough. Say that five times fast. Choosing choosing shoes, choosing shoes, choosing shoes, choosing shoes. But it was great. It was back to school shopping for kids' shoes. Really, you could apply that to your big grown-up feet shoes, you know, back to school shopping. But it was great. You gave a step-by-step thing. And I'm not going to read the whole article. You're welcome. But if you wanted to give a few <laughs> highlights from that, what would they be? Um, okay, bullet points are, it's best, this is a tip, it's best to shop for shoes, meaning your feet are at a good size to be fitted for new shoes at the end of the day or after after the bout of whatever it is that you're doing. So like uh, this, it's soccer time right now. So for example, everyone's like, I got to get soccer shoes and they go out and they fit their kids for soccer shoes. But the best time to fit your kids and yourself for shoes, especially for sports specific shoes is after you've done the sport. So if you're a runner, you don't go shoe shopping in the morning. You go take your run so that your feet are at the size because your feet are are malleable. They're going to change shape based on the activity and the fluid content that's in there. So you want to do it after the thing that you've just done when your foot is at your maximum size or shape for whatever that activity was. So if you're buying shoes for kids, don't like do it early in the morning before they've had a chance to be on their feet, you know, quite a bit or use it. You want to go out and, you know, go hiking, go running, go playing, let them be up for a little bit. And like towards the end of the day, three, four, five is a really good time to fit fit your kids. Kids feet grow fast. This is something that we don't really think of as a, (laughs) yeah. If you're a parent, you know, when we just have a, a shoe size that we are, but your kids, their their feet are growing constantly. And so the recommendation is that a, a shoe for a child is always at least a half of an inch longer than their foot at rest. Because again, once you start moving, your foot does not maintain the static shape. It's 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 stretching, it's reaching as you as your weight passes over it, it's widening and lengthening. So if you fit a shoe to a static foot which is, um, interestingly enough, back to school shoe shopping is also a memory of going yeah. to Payless Shoe Source, right? And putting oh, your foot geez. on that thing with the sliding dial. That, I, that? I know the word for that. <laughs> what is it's it? A, it's a Brannock device. That is, is what it is. Is that the name of the, the <laughs> that's guy, that, I'm assuming, who created it? I think so. But that's the weird metal thing where they shove the other metal thing and then metal. everything was just so metal. It was, but, and what I always, and as I remember as a kid going, he's like, we have to measure your right foot and your left foot. I was like, why you only sell shoes in pairs? Like <laughs> this is, I was just, and I, I guess it was to get the, the larger one, right. To make sure right. the pair fit the larger shoe. But anyway, right. um, Brannock device. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where was I? I, all these, all well, these so interesting the foot, words. The foot has to be, yes. if you, it has to be in movement. You have to know what the foot's going to be doing while you're walking right. or moving so, or running. Well, your your foot is going to get bigger and smaller as you're moving. So you want the f- shoe to fit the bigger, right? Mm-hmm. But a shoe that's too big is just as problematic as a shoe that's too small. So what do you, so I think the natural response is like, great. Well, if my kid's 
foot is growing constantly through the year, then I'll get a, a shoe that's like one size too big. And then that way they can kind of grow into it over the year because it gets expensive, right? You have- oh my gosh. Yes. So what do you do? You have to buy multiple pairs of shoes per year and that gets expensive. And so in the blog post, I kind of showed how I do it, right? Like how do you delegate, dispense your shoe budget for the year? And a big secret, if you want minimal shoes for kids and you don't want to spend a lot of cash is swim shoes. Mm, brilliant. Is that what's the other word for swim shoes? Like water shoes, pool shoes. Yeah. They are um do you have yeah. another word? I think it's just pool pool shoes is what I've pool shoes. They're usually at um around here I see them in drugstores. You know, like in the like yeah, a lot like of drugstores. Hanging stores. on one of those toilet yes. racks and yeah. Yeah. And they're not expensive. I've never seen them no. for more than like 15 bucks. Yeah, they're super cheap. And the the cool thing about them is they're flat. They're flexible and they're inexpensive. So, and they're usually rubber bottomed. So, even if you live in a wet place, I live in a wet place. It's the Pacific Northwest. It's not super freezing, especially in the fall, right? So, I recommend that you get one of those for fall, like the, this early part, because there might be rain on the ground. But if you pair them with wool socks, you've got something that's warm, water resistant, flat, flexible, and it gets you through to when you're going to need like your your big guns, depending on where you live, right? If you live in Southern California, you're like, what is she talking about? Like socks and boots, but. (laughs) Boots. Boots. But if you live in like where you live, you guys are going to get some snow. Yeah. Yeah. Got to get some boots. So the best time is closer to when your foot is at the size that you're going to be using them. So if you're going to be wearing winter boots and try to buy them as close to winter as possible so that they're they're going to match your shoe shape then. Like don't don't get excited and buy your winter boots in October, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Okay. That's Put it off a little advice. bit. Yeah. So and then you can buy another pair of inexpensive swim shoes um in the early spring or late winter when the snow is over, but you still need a little bit of wet and um moccasins or other minimal shoes to kind of, it has like how to pace it out a little bit, I guess. It was very helpful. Very good. And especially the part about tracing the foot and how to trace it, because then you don't have to deal with the Brannock device. You've got, you've got your own measurement with your, your toes spread wide. So I liked that a lot. It was good. That's good for, that's good for adults too. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're a homeschooler, a fun lesson, right? I included actually in that blog post, a whole link to a homeschool lesson on feet and shoes. So check that out. And talking about homeschooling and that, that's a good time for lots of barefoot time, right? And if you're inside, (laughs) foot muscle training time. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we could probably do a winter show, like how to move in the winter, but that was, there was a lot of blizzards, like East coast, Eastern Canada got hit pretty hard with winters last year where they're like, yeah, okay, walk three to five miles a day. It's just not possible. Like it's freezing. We will die, Mm -hmm. Katie says. (laughs) So (laughs) it was like, okay, well, what do you, what, what are ways to create movement indoors and obstacle courses, obstacle courses, obstacle courses are amazing. They are super fun to set up. They are fun for kids and adults to do. And then you can do one just for feet though, just, you know, they're all, they're meant to be barefoot and train your feet with all sorts of wobbly, cool balance. I threw up some pictures and that's a good 
way to strengthen the muscles in your feet because minimal shoes, again, if you listen, I think back to our episode, maybe on the Vibram lawsuit, this was like an early episode that Mm -hmm. we did where when you get like on the minimal footwear bandwagon, there's a, a tendency sometimes to think that just putting the shoe on the foot will give you more movement, but you actually have to be moving, right? You have to be doing more movements. And so (laughs) moving, like it's not a magical foot massage device. Like you actually have to be up and you have to be walking over varied terrain. And if that varied terrain is buried under snow or the outside is not accessible to you, then create a varied terrain inside. Which, and and you don't even have to buy extra stuff. I mean, you use pillows and and couch cushions and, you know, stuff like that and go to the dollar store and get a bunch of pebbles. And it's just, yeah. I like, I, I like now. how you do it on the cheap. I appreciate that about you. Oh my God. I am so cheap, but it's like, <laughs> no, say go- frugal, you do it on the cheap, oh. but you're, you're not cheap. Oh. You're frugal. Oh, I'm thrifty. Uh, thr- the thrifty Scott. Uh, but I don't even think, I don't think it's much as, is like thrifty isn't my motivation. Money saving isn't my motivation as much as reusing things that already exist is my motivation. So like go now before it's all covered under snow, go get pebbles, mm-hmm. go find a, a cool balancing logs, bring them in to dry them out now so that when it's time to set up your winter stuff, you have all that stuff ready to go. Just get a big box, start putting it in there and then create your kind of foot training kit in your back pocket. So the first snow day when you're like, what am I going to do? It's like, I already have this plan. I've been planning on this since September. And so it's a, it's fun. I enjoy it. It's creative thinking. It's good thinking. Hey friends. So it's been seven years since I recorded that last bit. My kids were young and did, you know, everything I wanted them to for the most part. So I wanted to chime in with a few more bits about minimal footwear and kids specifically older kids like preteens and teens, and share this email that I received a couple of years ago. So it went. This question revolves around a shoe issue and touches on parenting teenagers. A bit of backstory, everyone in our family wears minimalist shoes exclusively, including our two children who have never worn anything else. Our son is 18 and has his one or two favorite minimalist shoes that work for his lifestyle, and that is that. However, our 14-year-old daughter is going in a very different direction. She desires all that is part of a typical American culture and lifestyle, which is very different than how she was raised. This now includes high heels. I've tried to buy her all of the cutest, most fashionable minimal styles out there, and that worked for a time, but now she is putting her foot down, haha, and saying, my body, my choice, and inserting her right to wear heels. As you can tell, there are deeper, quite normal and expected developmental behaviors going on here, and we are at a point in our relationship where it is key for me to begin to lessen my control of her choices and let her express herself and her autonomy. I definitely have to pick my battles, but unlike the makeup or booty shorts, etc., my Concern with the shoes is obviously damage to her feet. I believe so strongly in the importance of the barefoot shoe concept, as well as actually going barefoot, that this is a hard one for me. I was hoping she would be happy with something with a very slight heel, but what she wants is quite a high heel, in my opinion. Yes, they are not the highest thing out there, near vertical, but definitely a significant heel, especially to my feet, which never wear any heel at all. So my question to you is, or what is just some general advice for my situation? And specifically, is there any way to minimize harm to her feet? 
She has had 14 years of appropriate footwear, and her everyday go-to shoes will still be minimalist, so that's good. What about a limit on the rise or angle of the heel and or the limit on the frequency and or duration of wearing the heels and what would be an appropriate or necessary time limit be? Or am I worrying too much and should I just let her explore on her own terms? That would be the path of least resistance. But I still feel responsible for her health as her mother and I want to preserve her strong and functional feet. Those are some of the ideas I had, but I really wanted an expert to weigh in on the subject and help guide this thorny situation that I find myself in. So my response that I wrote back then, which I'll share with you all, is this. You may have read about the adorner in my family in either simple steps to foot pain relief or grow wild. And P.S. An adorner isn't someone who's into fashion or style as much as those who really need to express themselves by what they put onto their body. And P.P.S. I am not an adorner. Anyhow, to y'all, for me, raising children includes both teaching them choice-making while also holding boundaries for them until they can fully handle holding their own boundaries. So much of the former is theoretical. You're trying to explain what the result of a choice will be or will feel like. And I also know it's really the self-experience that guides us most, or maybe I just like to learn the hard way as a kid, or, I mean, like, and honestly, as an adult. Uh, On the other hand, how a body is shaped in childhood is the foundation for how the body functions over a lifetime. So where we choose to set boundaries during this time does have long-term implications. So it's a delicate dance. Our family's shoes have always been minimal, but... The adorner, you know, will take three days to carve wood heels and she'll measure and cut cardboard and hook it all together with painter's tape and aluminum tape and she'll do this all by herself. I'm just going to simply admire her creativity in pursuit of self. She's fallen down twice as she's clomping around noisily. And most importantly, she's in charge of her happy experiment of how these shoes feel and work compared to all other shoes that she's worn. And she's noticed herself that her toes hurt, how slow she is, and how her legs can't move as much. She's noticed this along with how rad she looks so that she can make an informed choice when she's building her own shoe closet in the future. So I wrote this in the note, and I'm just going to say it again to everybody. I sincerely hope nobody is following me for parenting advice. Please tell me you're not following me for parenting advice. Because I really only have how to move advice, but I am just sharing a snapshot of me and my kid doing the delicate dance of handing over boundary holding where her movement choices are concerned. So that was, again, a letter that I wrote back a couple of years ago. But to bring things into the to- today, or really just a couple of days ago, my other kid really wanted Vans skater shoes because that's what he's into. And they're flat, but they are pretty bulky and stiff. But they were his 11-year-old choice. And he wears them amongst a couple of other pairs that are more that classic minimal that he, that he's spent the rest of his life wearing. So I was totally happy to let him pick out the shoes that he wanted. And the first month, he rolled his ankle while trying to do his regular ninja moves that's just like leaping and jumping off of stuff so 
that was one of the challenges with really stiff soles that I was able to show him there's no wiggle room. Like if you catch an edge, it's just a long lever that's going to flip over and tweak the ankle. If you got something that's a little bit more supple, you catch an edge and it kind of rocks and bends and you can set it back down. So it was also a good physics lesson. Um, And then last week, he wore these shoes backpacking and he woke up in the middle of the night in the tent with really bad calf cramps, like enough where calf massages were required. And in the morning, I was I gave him a quick explanation that without really being able to move his feet parts as much as he had been used to moving them. So he's got sort of stiffer feet now wearing his stiffer shoes so much. And then he's got the extra weight of the backpack and he's walking more miles. His feet weren't as strong as they could have been going into that situation. So the next day, and I, I, you know, we're in the back country and I was like, yeah, maybe take off your shoes and um, spend a lot of time barefooting back here. So at least you can stretch out your feet in a more complex way. And he did. And I overheard him on our backpack out of the wilderness, he was creating a plan for his back-to-school shoes. Like, he wanted to keep, he was saying that, he's like, I want to keep my my Vans, but just for, like, skating. But I want to find a cool, minimal pair to wear all the other times for all the other movements he wanted to do. So, like, I just felt like this was a parenting win. I mean, what else is there? I felt good about his self-exploration. He got to experience some of the more theoretical things that I had talked about. Like, for you know, him just wearing the shoes that I say doesn't really teach him anything about shoes or his feet. So, again, I don't know if this helps, but I know a lot of us are negotiating older children and and autonomy and and really wanting them to learn versus just sort of adopt a a family dogma. So anyway, feet might not need support, but children do as they figure out how to be grown-ups and this is just a little snapshot into how I'm doing it. So, all right. Let's talk about getting some walking time before or after school. If I've got kids, How about walking to school? Walking to school, cherished, being walked to school, cherished memories. Just, you know, um, walking to school is one of those things that has just kind of gone away just Mm -hmm. because of the way society is now. But escort, like walking by yourself. I remember when I was in like preschool walking certain distances myself, you know, yeah. even like a block by myself. Like that just doesn't happen mm-hmm. anymore. Okay. Can but, I, can I add that into my cherished memories? Cause I always yeah. had to walk to school. Um, and it was just like that it, time of decompression on the way home yeah. and the time to get excited on the way there, you know, like, what am I going to learn today? And, and, um, I don't think that would have happened if I were sitting on my rear. No. And, and I remember, I don't think I thought about it then, like I think about it now, but I remember a sense of independence and, and who knows how alone I was. So my son who's four (laughs) just asked the other day if he could walk this quarter mile home by himself. He's like, can I walk this by myself? And he asked because his six-year-old cousin does it. Mm -hmm. His mom, we live close enough and she'll like 
ride her bike to a certain point and then she can watch him walk a certain point and then I'm at the other end and can watch. But the kid doesn't really know that as much. And so I was like, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, you drive home and he seems so big all the other time until he's walking down this huge road. And I was like, oh my God, he's like an ant. He's so tiny. He's like a baby <laughs> crawling down this thing. And he did the whole thing. And and I there's just a it's being autonomous, right? Is this whole experience of I got this and it's it was a safe, you know, I felt that there was just no risks or minimal risks, I mm-hmm. think, for him, any risk that he can handle. And and um, but that's not an option for a lot of people. So and a lot of also people live too far from where they go to school. Right. Where it's like, okay, I'd like to have two extra hours to walk the three miles, you know, my kids <laughs> back and forth, but I don't. So um our friend Debbie from Positively Aligned has a really great solution for this. And when I went to visit her in Texas, I did this with her and it was genius, but I'll let you tell it because it's, I just like to hear it. Well, I mean, it's, it is pretty smart. She would, she was quite a ways away from her school and, um, wouldn't, it was like four miles, I think to school. So she would drive the car out to a certain point and then they would just all get out with their backpacks and walk the rest of the way. So I think it ended up being two miles each way for the kids. Um, so four miles total. And then she would get like an extra little bit in, but they beat traffic because they would have to leave earlier to get the walk in. And then they weren't stuck in their car with everybody else who at the same time was going to school. They were out walking. Yeah, and- it was, uh, it was great. She, so for her or anyone else going, how can I get more movement? She would drive. I don't remember exactly what the distance was, but it doesn't matter. Like, even if it's, you know, I have little kids, it's like, great, then do a mile or do a half mile, whatever. She would park and walk in and they would play like shadow chasing games. Mm-hmm. It was great. And then had you know, and sometimes a- she'd have to carry their backpacks and that was sure. just like the trade-off that she made. But that's so, a benefit. Like, right. that's awesome, right? right. She right. Like, she got to use this time to train. It's like mm-hmm. going to the gym with your kids here, carry all my stuff. <laughs> but then she would walk back. And then she would walk in to pick them up and then walk out. So she got twice as much walking as they did to half of it being fast adult paced. And then she got to be with them those extra hours. They got to walk. But I love that you pulled out this decompression idea. It wasn't like, quick, get in the car, drive home. You know, it was this whole relaxing 20 or 40 minutes, however long it is for you of of talking, but not where people are clamoring for your attention, you know, like right. where it can be. It was just more like, we're just out and running around. And I don't know, it was beautiful. Like it, it felt really good. It was just a great way to break up a day. Right. Well, and, and you know, minds always wander when you walk. That's just part of the nature of walking is your mind goes places and you don't always have the opportunity in school. So it's a really good mm-hmm. time to let that happen for little kids and adults just to have- yeah. Yeah, because not everybody needs to be talking at once or focused on the same thing. Yeah, and I think also back to the homeschool, I like to give our our alternative schoolers ideas, right? Because you're constantly figuring out like cool lessons. Um, and a good movement lesson would be for maybe older kids or younger kids, I guess, depending on where where they are, would be maybe to keep a walking journal or to track distance. Yes. Even if they're, even if they're in traditional schools, to be like, okay, have Could you heard you... about the 100 Mile Club? No. Okay, this is really cool. This has just started. And actually, the um, person that does our show notes that really do exist out there somewhere <laughs> are Stop the, telling like, transcriptionists. 
she uh, turned me on to this called the 100 Mile Club. And it's for schools, but you can adapt it to like non-traditional situations or even just your own family. And it's to, for kids to walk 100 miles during the school year. You know, so you break it down, you log it and everything. And, and so gives them something it's, you know, if they're not just turned on by the idea of just walking, because some kids like to work towards something and they can even work toward like a medal or sticker or certificate or whatever. But yeah, it's called the 100 Mile Club. I think you can look it up by that. And it's for schools to try and get everybody going in groups. Mm. Kind of a cool idea. Good idea for teachers out there, maybe mm. to who are trying. We get a lot of requests from teachers going, how do I adjust my curriculum? So anyway, by doing that, that's great. Yeah. Me again, I know for many of you, a big concern with the educational environment is all of the sitting. Some schools break up sitting with recess time, but many schools have dwindling recesses and many schools allow devices at student break time, which means just a lot of sitting for the bulk of most school days. And maybe you feel this way about your work day too, so much sitting at your work desk. And in both cases, my advice is the same. Don't focus on the hardest part of your life to change. Focus on the easiest. If kids are sitting a ton at school, then make sure your home environment isn't also chair forward or sitting forward. So let's go back in time a bit and hear what I had to say back then. My Uh, goodness. I don't think there's one kid in the world that likes sitting in a school desk all day long. And sometimes I just wonder, can't we just kind of like, you know, demand or or petition that we just do something different? But yeah. it has, I mean, it has to, there's all sorts of ways we can approach this. Well, that's, I mean, going up, going, like changing a paradigm is huge. So like you have this you know, we are these little people with this idea and there's institutions that have a different idea. So that's, that's challenging. And I think, I definitely think, um, you know, it's like kind of like all activism in general, that there is benefit to um, organizing some sort of intervention against larger institutions who have a particular idea when you're trying to initiate change. But before we do that, Again, thinking about the parent who feels overwhelmed being like, hey, petition your like school district, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just lay down in front of the desks at your school district. Like that's that seems big and overwhelming. So the first thing you can do so that you can feel empowered is to simply change your home environment. So if, if, if people are shaped by what they do all day, then make sure that your house doesn't so setting up where are your, where are your kids doing homework so if if you are like i don't like this desk thing but you have desks for your kids at home then start with eliminating that create standing or floor sitting desk workstations um initiate oh gosh we we came up with a bunch of ideas right so oh yeah i mean some people have just like created a dynamic workspace for their kids yeah. when they get home Um, and it doesn't have to be pricey. You don't have to go all out on this. I mean, you've got a floor sitting option and then sitting next to a coffee table and then standing up at the kitchen, you know, food bar, whatever it is. Yeah. They don't have to sit in one spot to do their homework. They don't. Um, the problem I think for a lot of people comes with, they have one home computer Mm. and the kids have to be on the home computer. So if that's the case, consider, I, I just posted, Uh, a picture of my new office space. 
So I, I don't just sit there. The paperback version, you know, has just been released and I'm what? trying, but people you call still it want your visuals. dynamic workstation. It's my, di- it's, it's a dynamic a office. It's dynamic. Woo, it's dynamic. Right? I have a low table, like find a low table, put your computer on the low table. And then the reflex tends to be, it's like, well, there's no way my, the adults want to sit down there. I'm like, it's good for you too. This mm-hmm. isn't about kids. It's about humans. But then also it's not just the work time. What about the relaxation time, right? You still have the couch, still have all the easy bear, easy, you know, easy chairs and the, everyone's Did- just kind of dining table sitting everything like the whole house so you know consider again that mm-hmm. furniture free home to whatever extent you can there's been again on our on our social media pages so many good ideas like where the family couldn't quite ditch the couch so they just cut the feet off of it dropping it 4 inches yeah that was Huge. brilliant that was brilliant yeah brilliant um have floor picnics you know eat on the floor sometimes in the dining room have family challenges where um, if you watch TV together as a family, you do it on the floor um, with, you know, kind of fun movement challenges during commercial time. Um, also, gosh, what else? Well, we did something cool this weekend. Um, what? We took an outdoor ping pong table and we moved into this gigantic house that we don't have nearly enough stuff for. It's like, it's ridiculous. Like we're squatting. But Ah, and, and so, oh, <laughs> that's awesome. So it's perfect is what you well, mean. Well, no, yeah, it's perfect. What you're saying is it's perfect as it is. It is perfect as it is. And we had an outdoor ping pong table and we were looking at this huge spot where a, like a formal dining table would go in this sort mm-hmm. of a house. And we we're mm-hmm. like, why, why would we buy another table? Let's just move the ping pong table in where that's supposed to go. So it totally looks like we're college students, but <laughs> We've just been, I mean, no one can stay away from the ping pong table. Yeah, that's yeah, they great. Don't have, they, they're right there in Planet So. There's all sorts of little added things. You know, and that's such a good, again, winter. I, I feel like we need to do a trigger warning for all of the people on the East Coast who just are like, stop saying it's the end of summer and like who have all of the. Well, we'll do a winter show. Well, I meant the heavy winters that we just don't have. You know, consider swapping out your furniture for something like for fun family movement time where instead of, all right, every night we're going to sit down at this table for an hour, be together in some other movement way, put your food off to the side and go snack when you want. And then we'll come and chat and play around the Mm -hmm. obstacle course or the ping pong table or whatever else you can think of. That would be fun. It's just a dynamic home dynamic because it's ever changing dynamic because you can, it doesn't constrict your movement in any way. So I think that's, kind of a cool thing. And then screen time, right? All the stuff that we've talked about before, there's all these screen-free weeks, but can you do screen-free days or tech-free days with your family, not just with your kids, but with the whole family, you know, consider having it switch off at a certain time where it's like, okay, do your homework, but the internet switches off for everyone at seven. Just, just think outside the box. I guess there are lots of solutions there. Okay. I know you wanted to hear about backpacks too, right? So this one can be a bit tricky to think of a daily load to carry as something we might want for our kids. So allow me to weigh in. Backpacks. When you and I were growing up, we just didn't have the kind of, we just didn't haul stuff to and fro like kids today do. So I think, honestly, I carried, I don't even think I had a backpack. I think I might've just carried whatever my lunch in my hand or in my arms. And if I had to bring a book home, which was rare, 
it was in my arms. So a lot of stuff got dropped and <laughs> and scuffed up and all that. But it, it, you see him walking to school today and these, these little guys, they're loaded down with stuff. And I guess as a parent, you know, I'm, I would kind of wonder what what's the best thing? Well, I have a different take on this than I think a lot of people do. So it, it's a complex, it's a complex issue because um, yes, they are carrying more stuff than we are, but I'm not sure that's necessarily not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Giving kid more loads to carry is not problematic. It's kind of what we're after, right? Having them work more, be stronger. Um, the question is, is piling a bunch of stuff into a backpack the loads that we, the way that we want to do it. So I don't think variables are tricky when you're trying to flesh out what the argument actually is. So I don't think that the problem is the weight. Weight, weight is fine. Kids in other places do way more physical work and have the capacity to carry and be much stronger than our kids are currently. But what we have with the backpack is a repetitive load carried in a single way. Um, again, I don't think that the weight is too much as much as you're asking a child who you also ask to be sedentary the bulk of the time to then carry this large burden on on their spine. You know, So what is the solution there? The solution there is carrying the load in different ways. I, for a long time, have wanted to create a backpack that was similar and Sorry, fellas, if this <laughs> analogy doesn't make sense, but you know, like you can buy those bras that like are like five bras in one. It's like it's over the shoulder and it crisscrosses sure. and back and it's strapless. So I have want, long time wanted to create some sort of carrying device that had straps that went in different ways where you could carry it in different ways. Um, you can, of course, carry a backpack however you want, but you know, we're talking about. I don't know, are, are little kids, like our five and six-year-olds coming home with 30-pound backpacks? Or like, when does that phenomenon start? I actually uh, pretty, don't know. Pretty early. It's pretty crazy nowadays. But but so you're saying, that's that's good. I'm glad that we are talking about this. You're saying that just the, the variable is a big part of it. So I always believed, like, my backpack in high school, I was a one-strapper. Mm -hmm. For those of you that don't know what that is, I was way too cool to put my backpack on the way that it was designed. And so I carried it on one shoulder, pretty much which, always the same shoulder. Which one? Which, are you lefty or righty? It was oh, it was on my left shoulder, which is mm -hmm. my jacked up shoulder. Sure. Right. Um, and then as an, you know, when I got older, I was like, you know, it makes sense. I'll just, I'll wear this with a two strapper. So now I'm a two strapper, but my son, the other day we were going off to nature school and he had his backpack on, you know, one thing. And I'm like, you could put your backpack on both straps. And he's like, ma, it's not cool. He's like, who are you talking and, to? Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with you? But, but I guess, you know, I hear I was worried that he's going to get all jacked up, but if he varied it, it wouldn't be such a big issue is what you're saying. I'm saying that, I'm saying that, you know, we have an aversion to work and weight and movement. And so it's easy to see like, look at all this weight they're asking the kids to carry. I'm like, yeah, kids are strong. They should be asked to carry a lot more stuff a lot more often. However, is a backpack, this consolidated like load placed on the spine, like I would find that to be the problem more so than asking them to carry okay. the weight. And so, you know, my kids go to outdoor school too. They have backpacks and 
it's a little more challenging with tiny, with smaller kids, but keep in mind that they're also laboring kids. So they are constantly asked to carry and move and hang and swing. And so their, their bodies wouldn't collapse under the weight of a backpack the same way someone who did not that much other strength exercise throughout their life would collapse in a backpack that the effect of a backpack is not in a vacuum. It depends on who's wearing it and what they do all the other time. So for older kids, like your son, varying up how you carry your backpack. And I wrote up the pumpkin, there's a pumpkin loads. It's the great load lesson, Charlie Brown. It was one of my (laughs) annual, (laughs) annual lessons I do on pumpkin. I always seem to do a blog once a year with a pumpkin. And so, you know, what's the difference between carrying 10 pounds of pumpkins all stuffed in a backpack versus carrying, you know, one on your head and a couple in your arms that that weight and how it's distributed changes the net effect of something. And so I remember being it being cool to not have a backpack, but to have like three books in one arm. Right. Do you you ever remember walking home, just carrying your books with like. Yeah, papers think, yeah, out maybe of them. seventh grade or something. Yeah, yeah. But again, I wasn't cool, so maybe it's just what I did. Well, and here's here's a question <laughs> to your coolness: Were you a one or two strapper? Uh, oh, two, two. Because my glasses went over my right and left ear, my straps had to go over my right. I had to balance <laughs> the whole thing out, you know. And my <sighs> and my permed hair was equally poofed. I was for, I was all about symmetry. I was all about. I needed and to be symmetrically you cool. Nerd. What are you talking about? <laughs> My mom said oh, I was God. adorable. <laughs> yeah, my mom thinks I'm cool. <laughs> messenger bags. I did get into me- like I still prefer like I don't do any. I like a, a over the shoulder strap. So mm. over the shoulder strap, um, do it one way, then the other way. Put your backpack on the front. There was a couple of kids who did that. You know, carried their backpack on the front like a big pregnancy belly. That's pretty mm. hip. You should ask your son if that's yeah. hip. You should just start wearing your backpack on the front of your body and see what he says. Yeah, I just might do that for fun, just to shake things up a little bit. <laughs> and then put your butt pack on the back and your and your oh my yeah. gosh. That that's already qualified as totally uncool in my household. So <laughs> I know, but okay, but all but all of that being said, if you are going, there's my little kid is carrying all this crazy stuff, <laughs> lighten their load a little bit with like I we were buying stuff for outdoor school and it's like a huge, massive lunchbox. And I was like, what's this huge, like heavy in outdoor school? Because they are hiking, you know, they're not just wearing the backpack around in between classes. These little kids are hiking a couple miles with what's on their back. So I do things like they don't have lunch boxes; Those are heavy. They have a knit sack, uh, a mesh sack that I put their food in because why have the extra weight of a backpack? Look for, you know, water bottles. Look when you're purchasing items for back to school or what what they carry with them on a regular basis, pick things that are lighter. Um, Eliminate the need for, you know, do you need a pencil box? I mean, I'm understanding that we all need a pencil box. Do you really need a heavy pencil box in your bag or could you just, you know, throw a couple pencils in your backpack? Like there, there are, there is extra weight being placed in there and extra bulk that may or may not be necessary. So backpackers will understand that you pare down your weight and don't take non-essential items. And so just, oh, I guess other things to think about if, um, if the load really is too heavy for the strength of your child right now, pare it down. Mm-hmm. 
as much as you can. Like, you know, they still have to bring, can you photograph, can you buy a, a duplicate set of textbooks? Some schools do that, right? Like send their kids home with duplicates. Can you buy, you know, find used online duplicate textbooks so they're not moving it back and forth? Yeah. I guess I like the way that you've just um, changed my thinking about it. It's not so much the weight, but just what they're used to. If they're sitting in a chair all day and then carrying the same load, that's just, it's too repetitive. So. Yeah. And it's, you know, we think my kids are carrying too much weight. And then the next question is how do I exercise my kids more? It's like, we know we're, we're, yeah. we are living in a space between two <laughs> paradigms right now. So you're getting a little bit of this information, but you're still within a culture that really goes out of its way to avoid movement. And so there is this, it's like a Venn, we live outside of a Venn diagram. We live in this like space and they're slowly overlapping, but it takes a while to start hearing, you know, the questions you're asking, how Mm -hmm. like this is too much work for my child. And it's like, well, too much work is relative. Is there, as your children get stronger and and understand variability, then it it won't be. So Mm -hmm. anyway, that's just a, Again, it's part of that broader understanding of ergonomics versus movement and movement versus exercise. But that's, I think we got a shout out in there for yeah, Rick and more. Yeah, absolutely. And just one more note from 2022 about backpacks and cool kids, which I wasn't, but really wanted to be. Folks are always asking me if they should be worried about their kids in poor alignment, you know, their kids wearing out their shoulders because they don't want to wear both backpack straps at once. And my point of view is this is just a way to vary the carry, right? And instead of insisting that they wear both straps all of the time, like that that's the best version of backpack alignment, you know, encourage mixing up the use of both shoulders. So to put it they want to wear one strap, just put it on the right shoulder sometimes and then on the left sometimes, right? It's like they're using their body maybe not evenly in the moment, but evenly over a longer period of time. So to wind up, kids are dynamic learning machines, but they're placed in an ever-increasing sedentary educational environment. There are things that can be done, though. So let's focus on small adjustments that help kids get the movement they need. But also, parenting is hard. And being a kid is hard. And there's no perfect. There's only keeping moving forward the best we can. So think of all of this as food for thought. And just find the opportunities when you can. So study hard, friends, and expand your movement options. I will see you in class. Hi, my name is Debbie from California. This has been Move Your DNA with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it's not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such. Our theme music was performed by Dan McCormick. This podcast is produced by Brock Armstrong, and the transcripts are done by Annette Yen. Find out more about Katie, her books, and her movement programs at nutritiousmovement.com.